Uh, welcome to our podcast on the common issues encountered in purchasing landed estates. I'm Adam Corbyn. I'm a partner with the agriculture team here at Mitchellmores. I act for a broad range of institutional and private clients, mainly on contentious matters. I'm joined today by three other partners at Mitchellmores. First of all, Chris Massey. Chris specialises in handling sensitive and complex substantial landed estate, agricultural, country, country house and high value residential transactions. We're also joined by Jennifer Ridgway. Jennifer acts for individuals and their families in all aspects of structuring their private wealth, including advising upon succession issues and tax planning. And we're also joined by Ben Sharples. Ben advises upon a broad range of contentious agricultural matters, including landlord and tenant disputes over agricultural and residential property, partnership disputes, real property disputes and professional negligence connected with these matters. Um, right, so the next thing that we thought we'd cover was uh, easements and covenants. Um, this must be a bit of a minefield, Chris. Well, I think <laughs> every every estate has its quirks. So uh, as with any property, you should expect that there are going to be things that need to be ironed out. And that's not necessarily a deal breaker. It's something that we're here to help with. So for a purchaser client, I mean, in the, uh, due to the, the lack of a thing called the pub search at the moment, where you could go to a pub for a few days and listen to all of the locals um, talk at, at, at length about anything and everything that affects an estate, and believe me, I'd sign up to to carry out pub searches if I could. Um, but the really important thing is to get there on the ground, get on the estate on the on the ground with your team. So that would be your buying agent, your solicitor, uh, and any other advisors that you might have to take a look on the ground. So, in terms of easements and the like. Sure, we can check the legal title. We can see what's actually mentioned as uh, as affecting areas of land. Landed estates quite often have many, many titles that uh, uh, together comprise an estate. So I'm at the moment putting together a, a sale where we've got 76 titles, um, which can make it quite interesting trying to decipher what is uh, is affected, what benefits and how. But titles in themselves do not tell you the uh, full story. So what we're very keen to establish is does it appear that people are doing things uh, on a landed estate i mean that could be something very simple like having a gate that opens out of a uh, out of a village property onto um onto a, a field that could be a, a clear route um that can be seen um on the ground where public may be um, crossing certain land. It could be there was a, a rather delightful estate that I acted on where there was a field that they called the um, the dog field, uh, which is where they decided that since dogs were going to go about their business somewhere, they might as well do it on that field. Um, and it was a real joy inspecting that field. And they certainly did do what they were intended to do there. <laughs> but but the, as I said, the important thing is to be there, check the position of the uh, uh, in the title deeds, to check the position on the ground. Plenty of warning. We'll be able to decipher and understand what might be there. We ask an awful lot of questions of a vendor's solicitor, so we are very clear that we want to understand if there are prescriptive rights, there are rights that might have been established over over a course of many years. If there are things that might directly impact on you, so from moving on to public rights of way, it might be that there is a public footpath that very clearly on the definitive plan 
is shown running a considerable distance away from the main house. But when you actually visit the property, you can see the ramblers, etc., walking straight past the front door. Has something happened that might have changed those rights and uh, led to um, potential difficulties as a result? Um, this is a rather a bottomless pit, to be quite honest, in terms of the sorts of things that can turn up. So other other chestnuts and classics that that have turned up in the past. Sporting rights. We can have situations where we find ourselves with um, with rights that benefit other bits of land that might have been carved out of an estate in the past, which lead to um, duplicated rights benefiting many, many other people. Um, and mineral rights as well, another classic where um, where an estate may find that um, it has sold off a bit of land with the benefit of something, and then those rights subsequently might benefit everybody who sits on a housing estate that was subsequently purchased on the land. Um, ben, do you have any other thoughts on that front? Well, it was just I, I, maybe the agent in me, but I've always thought that going and inspecting is just absolutely critical, I, whether it's you know spotting garden grabbers or you know in the context of restrictive covenants you know you you go and see that the the character of the neighborhood has changed dramatically so you're immediately thinking well how watertight is that covenant now you know is it protecting something of significant value and benefit for the purpose and entitled to the, the benefit of a covenant i mean these these are all issues really that only start to really hit home once you've had a look on the ground and, and kick the tires as it were and i just i think you know that's invaluable and it's particularly so where you can get the advisors together and go around on mass as it were i mean albeit perhaps attracting a fair degree of attention so in certain situations you wouldn't be able to do that but you know that to me that discussion between professionals is invaluable because you know ideas spark off each other and and it would be time time and money well spent by the client i think um, I think you're right. I see all of those things all the time from the sort of more family perspective, I suppose. And I think, Chris, you mentioned um, sporting rights and mineral rights. And both of those are examples of things on my desk at the moment, actually, where because of a sort of long family history of ownership across lots of different titles and parts of an estate being given away to family members and transferred to family members at different times, when people are at different stages in their lives. Um, I, I've seen certainly an attempted and sometimes successful kind of retention of both of those rights by different family members that you just wouldn't see across the title, but is an interfamily arrangement. And so I'm guessing from, for you as, a, as someone acting for the purchaser, a lot of your role sometimes is trying to develop a really good relationship with the selling um, solicitor who may, would hopefully, and certainly I know we do when we're selling for a family, understand a lot of that historical kind of family stuff that will feed into what what we need to deal with on the ground all i would say on the the sort of mineral rights front is it is often entirely unclear from title deeds who might actually benefit from rights likewise um, looking at a title it may well be that rights that actually benefit um, the land that you're purchasing might not be registered uh, on the title to the landed estate. So yes, it's the devil is in the detail, asking the right questions and building the rapport with the, the, the seller's solicitors, the seller's team to try to, to get to the bottom of, of what might be happening. Um, again, it is having as much um, 
uh, forewarning as possible of the fact that something's going to happen. I mean, realistically, one would expect when you're purchasing a landed estate, acting for a purchaser, I'd expect to have access to a data room. That data room pre-offer should have a decent amount of generic detail, most of which is probably out in the public realm, but saves us doing quite a lot of digging. But at the point in which an offer's accepted, I would expect to have a heck of a lot of information pre-populated so that we can all crack on uh, and uh, get to an exchange of contracts or complete a shared purchase agreement or whatever it might be that we're doing as swiftly as we possibly can. So on the subject of sporting rights, I think they're a particular nightmare all of their own. And an issue I came across recently is that the the obligation to register at the land registry sporting interests is much less onerous than it is on other property rights. And you can very easily have a situation where sporting rights are conveyed away exclusively to a third party and that conveyance just doesn't show up and isn't referred to and then suddenly emerges after completion. Then you've got a situation where a third party benefits from the exclusive sporting rights. So it sterilises that area of land for sporting purposes as far as the purchaser is concerned. And you know, you're not going to get an indication of that on the title. And it's, again, another reason why inspection, so you go on site, you're, you're able to see evidence of what effectively will be an overriding interest, you know, tracks, feeders, pheasant pens, whatever it might be, and you can start asking the relevant questions. Um, but it's, it's a particular conveyancing nightmare all of its own. Chris, some uh, clients of mine recently had reason to get no search insurance, and I was amazed at how cheap it was and uh, how brilliant it seemed to be. But is it is it a panacea to all of our problems with um, tracking down these these rights? Uh, the the small issue with insurance is whilst it may. Uh, become you somewhat on the monetary front if something goes wrong and it may provide you with some cash to assist in the event that god forbid you had somebody seeking to enforce or carry out some sort of terrible injunction against you it doesn't deal with the fact that you are still living in a property that has problems with somebody uh, who is going to make your life on your estate that bit less enjoyable than it might otherwise have been so the hassle factor is not removed the money factor which if we're thinking in terms of funding and potentially lenders, if there is any sort of mortgage facility being secured on, any, on, on a landed estate as part of a purchase, that may be sufficient for a lender because they are worried about the bottom line, but it's not so much fun if you find that you are still going to have that person walking straight past the front door. And it does happen. We do see that happen. So, so insurance in itself is a, is a neat thing that might work with along with with other potential solutions but i i would certainly be thinking very long and hard about whether or not to proceed in those circumstances i mean adam i know you and i both looked after a client where you know we've got a really tricky footpath problem and it really does risk impacting on their enjoyment of the main house doesn't it and i know you know there are lots of things that you're you're doing to try and deal with that issue but it's you know regardless of insurance i guess his the enjoyment of that person's house is still impacted if that footpath is 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 you know correct and goes ahead as people are walking on it now 
I think there's there is a very real danger when it comes to thinking about rerouting and whether it's possible to reroute that it does invite uh, an awful lot of potential attention from other bodies and um, and people who may have very strong views to the contrary about rerouting uh, and can actually lead to things becoming an awful lot worse than they might other, otherwise become. Yeah, in my experience, certainly when I was managing estates, you know, you would you could try and reroute. You could even offer more footpath on a better route. But generally, the the response from the relevant uh, opposing organisations was, you know, every every metre of footpath is sacred and they won't accept a, a deviation or a rerouting unless there's real sort of health and safety issues or something of that sort. And as you say, once you put your head above the parapet, potentially you don't then know what else might might follow. Thank you for listening to our podcast. If you ever have any inquiries which you think that Mitch and Moz could help you with, please contact me on adam.corbin at mitchellmoz.com. Join us for our next conversation next week when we'll be covering public rights of way. See you then.